Good evening, everyone, and happy 4th of July. Welcome to this edition of Radio Book Club. We are pre-recording this. We're listening to KZMU at 106.7 and 90.1, also streaming on kzmu.org. Hope you guys are all having a really happy, fun day. My name is Jesse. I work at the Grand County Public Library, and I'm here with Sherry Zollinger from Back of Beyond Books and Alyssa from Back of Beyond Books. We're really excited to introduce this new voice and have this um, great new input to Radio Book Club. How are you doing, Alyssa? I'm good. How are you? Um, tell us how long you've been at the bookstore and what you were doing before and how you wound up doing this. Yeah, I've been at the bookstore for just about a year now. And I moved to Moab at the beginning of 2021, kind of forced life change due to pandemic, which I think lots of people can probably relate to. Mm. I was living in Boston before this, managing a restaurant, and I have loved the West and Utah. I lived here a few seasons over on the Southwest side in Bryce Canyon and just really excited to be able to call Utah home now. Wonderful. Well, welcome. Hi, Sherry. Hello, hello. hello. Um, Alyssa and I are actually, we're doing this via Zoom in this pre-recording. So we're, we're looking at Jesse right now through the Zoom uh, lens. And then Alyssa and I are sitting here uh, together, but we're excited. We've been excited to have Alyssa at the bookstore for a while. And I kind of kept saying, we're going we're gonna to take you onto the radio at some point. <laughs> And so now that we're in a bit of a transition, it was kind of a good time to just bring Alyssa for a little, um, a little night with the radio book club. We're, we're happy to be here and hang out and talk about books. So I, as usual, we usually get started with a little library news, a little bookstore news, and uh, then segue into talking about books. Why don't you go ahead and talk about what's going on at Back of Beyond Books these days? Okay. Well, we are, we kind of got through a little bit of a, an event season, and I think the fall will kind of shape up to have a few events as well, but we're in a lull, an event lull, which is uh, kind of nice, gives us a little break and then see kind of what is going to be happening for the fall. Um, of course, we're in, we have been for the last month, this is our second month of our big transition. Uh, from owner, one owner, Andy, to the new owner, David. And uh, it's been a wonderful, pretty sweet transition. Um, I know that we'll, we will have Andy on again, just for all the listeners out there. Andy will actually be showing up on Radio Book Club, even though he doesn't own the bookstore anymore. That has been decided. So just so everyone knows, there'll be a few showings by Andy down the road. Um, but we've had, you know, a, a nice, sweet transition. We have, a, we've had a lot of the uh, community kind of come in with kind of, uh, you know, nervousness, like what is, you know, has Back of Beyond actually changed overnight <laughs> into something else that we don't want it to be, you know, and, and so many of our patrons have come in and just been so, so happy with um, the, the transition so far. And so it's a big deal. And, we we've all kind of worked as a team to make that happen. And of course, David is happy and excited to be 
um, you know, part of this whole thing. So yeah, that's the big news. We're just well into uh, the, you know, our season and just selling books like crazy. And so many people come in and they say, we're so happy to see you because there's no more bookstores in the world. And I'll always look at them in the eye and say, well, we're here and lots of other bookstores are still here and we're doing well. <laughs> so people are definitely reading. So um, I think that is kind of just the, the simple news. Can you think of anything else, Alyssa, that's happening? Uh, not really event wise. We've been putting out weekly summer reading suggestions uh -huh. on our social media. So on Instagram and on Facebook, and we're just curating different types of lists every week. So that's been kind of a fun thing to put together. And this week will be a brand new list on Wednesday. Yes. And I only sometimes get the days confused of the week, but I <laughs> well, and in that vein as well, we've been doing staff reviews every single week. And so if anyone listening wants to check out those reviews, go to our website at www.backofbeyondbooks.com and look for the staff reviews tab. And we've been doing every week and we have a really wonderfully diverse staff right now. And so uh, if you're looking for that next book, get on there and, and look and see they're writing great reviews and Alyssa spearheaded getting those every week. So that's been great and exciting and fun. Wonderful. Well, the library does have um, a bit going on this summer. Um, there is no not enough time to tell you all of the really cool kids programs and teen and tween programs the library has going on, um, but you can check those out on the library website or give the library a call, 259-1111. There are uh, two evening teen clubs that are getting together. I think it's on Monday and Wednesday afternoons and evenings that are look like a ton of fun. Um, there's kids programming going on a couple of days a week. And if you've got young ones, uh, definitely give us a call and, and check that out and we'll tell you all about it. Um, as for July events for the adults, we're going to host a couple of evenings in the middle of July where we're going to show uh, two in two parts documentary based on the Michael Pollan book, How to Change Your Mind. So the library is often looking for ways to challenge, challenge the ways that we think about things. And looking for really quality programming and ways to get us to think about things differently. And this doc, this, this documentary is actually in four parts, but they're kind of short. So two, the first night, which is going to be Wednesday, July 13th at 6 p.m. inside the library's large meeting room. And that'll go right up to about 7.40, from 6 to 7.40 on the 13th. And then we'll do parts three and four on the 20th. So July, Wednesdays, July 13th and 20th at 6 p.m., um, Michael Pollan's book, How to Change Your Mind, has been made into a documentary that we're going to show. The Emmy-nominated uh, filmmaker Allison Elwood and Lucy Walker are directing this movie. It's produced by Alex Gibney. I don't know if anyone is familiar with these names. These are really good filmmakers um, with a lot of nominations and awards under their belts and really amazing um, and it's just, it's about the science, the new science of psychedelics and what they can teach us about consciousness and dying and addiction and depression and transcendence and how they could possibly 
be used carefully to relieve human suffering. Um, I think it'll be really well done and thought provoking. And I again, that. that's absolutely free at the library coming up on the 13th and 20th. That'll be up on our website. Yeah, that's uh, interesting. I hadn't heard that there was a documentary series. Is that just coming out? Is that? It's going to be coming out. It's actually released the day before. So there had better not be any that's, delays. Or that's be amazing. <laughs> because that book is absolutely incredible. It is. And the library had like, this is really wild. The library had to have a three, maybe even four copies of that in circulation for almost a year to wow. meet the demand um, for it. And I finally read, read it myself after I'd been out for a while. And it really changed the way I thought about things and kind of opened up, um, opened up some really interesting possibilities. Um, these are on the wait list for that book when I first <laughs> moved here. <laughs> yeah, a lot of people had to wait for a while for that. So I'm pretty yeah. excited to, uh, to, to be able to present that. And I hope that, um, I hope it's taken in the right, uh, the right way. We just, we just like to present ways for people to maybe think about things differently. It doesn't, um, Aubrey, of course, doesn't condone or, um, you know, want to promote anything crazy but um because the book was so wildly popular and well received it seems like this might be a helpful and um an interesting program well and um, michael pollan's a journalist and michael pollan is an amazing journalist and yeah, writer so he brings to it all the grounding i think necessary yes and then he also gives you um a huge amount of historical context as far as you know what happened and and the research as opposed to it just being recreational and you know so i think it's wonderful that you're you're doing that yeah it's absolutely um approached very scientifically and uh with a lot of a lot of voices um adding yeah. adding to the to his to his experiences um, I just want to talk up really quick. The library has two great book clubs going on. They're always looking for new members. There's the second Wednesday book club. Obviously, they meet on the second Wednesday of every month at six o'clock at the library. Give us a call at 259-1111 for more details. Find out what book they're reading. The library is able to supply multiple copies of every book that they're reading so that you can Come check yours out up in advance. Second Wednesday book club. Also, there's a Castle Valley book club with a great little group that meets out there every month on the usually the uh, last Friday of every month. And um, the details are on the library's website. That's moablibrary.org. You can also call us at 259-1111 again, and we'll give you all of the details. So looking for new members. Book clubs are a really fun way to connect with your community, expand. Um, the kinds of books you read, you're going to be surprised and um, read things that might you might not have selected otherwise. And uh, they're just um, they're just a lot of fun. So keep that in mind. Uh, let's see. Anything stand out? I mean, Happy Go Lucky, David Sedaris, uh, number one. I haven't read that yet. I don't think anyone has. Have you read it yet, Jesse? No, it checks out to patrons immediately. So I always yes. have to wait. <laughs> Wait my turn, but in I'm fact, sure it'll be delightful. We have uh, someone at the bookstore who's waiting for the library copy of that one of Happy Go Lucky. But you can't, you know, often go wrong with David Sedaris, and of course, it it just ends up as number one always. Mm -hmm. 
What else on the list? Um, it's cool to see that um, the new Candace Millard book is is up there at number two on the nonfiction side, at least on my hardcover list. Mm-hmm. Written mm-hmm. Um, River of the Gods, Genius, Courage, and Betrayal in the Search for the Source of the Nile. There are tons of brilliant reviews saying that this book is just exciting, fascinating, super well-researched, reads like a novel. Mm-hmm. Um, I bet, and that's... that's uh, that's a no-brainer if you're looking for good, exciting historical nonfiction. Yeah. Uh, both Alyssa and I have read Crying in H Mart. Yes. I read that in the meantime. I read that between the last book club that we did live and now. And I think you might have too. I, I think, think so we too. kind of read mm-hmm. it around the same time. Did you read so that as well? I haven't yet, but I just figured out that offer. Mm-hmm. Michelle Zahner is the singer for Japanese Breakfast, yes. which I, who I really like. And I didn't put that together at all. And I'm just like, why does all the talent go? Like some people are just so <laughs> brilliant and creative. It's amazing. Yeah. I've been hearing cr- Crying in H is a really amazing memoir. It's really fascinating because she had, she kind of, you know, similarly to other uh, Instagram uh, you know, people who kind of come up on Instagram, she had such a following with her band that so many people that like her were like, I, of course, I'm going to read her, her book. So it's been on the bestseller list for like number one, two, three, four around there for a, quite a long time. Nice. Yeah. yeah. Steady. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And really, you know, it's like, I, I've, told a lot of people about even the title and, and um, you know, so many of them know about H Mart on the West coast. There's, we don't know about H Mart, like say we would do Midwest to the the East coast, but you know, for listeners out there, this is uh, Michelle is half Korean, um, half Caucasian. And I think what her, her gift is um, writing about Korean food. And how she then folds that into the story of um, going through the death of her mother who had cancer. So it's a memoir, um, a coming of age memoir, really, and the, the relationship she has to her mother. And then the, 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 their love language was food. Mm-hmm. So that's what she and her she could be a food writer. She could yeah. easily be a food writer. Yeah. And- I finished that book thinking, oh, if there were just a Korean restaurant in Moab, (laughs) (laughs) that would be perfect. (laughs) Yeah, it makes you want to just, and I did hear through the grapevine that there might be a a Korean food truck, but who knows? Anyway, but (laughs) I do have some critique. I have some critique for the book as well. I I feel like um, she... I don't know. It was kind of a little odd. Like I didn't get the sense that she got along well or even liked her mother, but then, but then there was this sort of glorification of her mother that sort of ended up through the rest of the book. You might not have felt the same way, Alyssa, but um, it, it, it kind of, I don't know what I'd say is there was a little bit of immaturity mm-hmm. um, in the book as well. That the, some of the, um, I guess, in a way, it's, it's kind of hard to explain. Some of the psychological ideas um, weren't as well conceived, I guess. And I definitely, in reading it, got the impression that 
one of the ways that she was attempting to or was able to process her mother's death was to completely mythologize this woman. Yes. 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 That's a great way to put it. Is I think kind of a normal thing within a grieving process, Mm -hmm. but when you're reading it, it, it can feel a bit like, well, what just happened? Because you were just telling me what it was like as a child and a teenager And then it was in her very early twenties that her mother um, passed away from cancer. And it was, it just felt like she was not granted that, that time when you become an adult and kind of really step into your own and start to separate yourself from your mother, but not in such a rebellious way, more of like a, we're just two different people kind of way. And without having that experience with her mother alive, she, she creates this character, this incredible woman that she wants to please. Yeah. And so it does seem a little jarring at first, but also kind of understandable to the experience that she had. She might write a completely different book in 10 years. Yes. And, and it was a, it was a cathartic, it, it was cathartic, but there was one uh, at the end, after her mother had died and it was toward the end of the book, she brings the metaphor of making kimchi. Basically, she said she was going to therapy, you know, going through the grie- grieving process and it just wasn't working. Talk therapy wasn't working for her. So she decided to stop with that and just go start to cook. So she starts to, you know, just kind of make these, these Korean meals and the way she brought the metaphor of making kimchi as this sort of like transmigration of souls. I mean, just yeah. the way that that changes, you know, the way the body changes over, you know, into like the dying process or whatever it was, it was brilliant. Yes. It was a brilliant piece of, of, of metaphor. <laughs> it was a really brilliant piece of writing. And I think you, what you said was really true, Alyssa, as far as she didn't, she didn't get that. Uh, she didn't have that time yeah. to flesh out her experience with her mother as an adult. Yes. Mm-hmm. And that, ha- you know, that's where we get that maturity and mm-hmm. that. And so, you know, you, you do have to have some forgiveness, I think for her as you're going through it mm-hmm. as well. Anyway, wow. H March yep. by Michelle Zauner. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. Well, thank what you for that. that. Yeah. I, I, I'm actually even more intrigued. And I feel like she's such a creative person that we can expect more from her and, and more, yeah. more depth. There's some room, room to get. I mean, if this book is apparently pretty good already. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It sounds like we can expect uh, even more depth as she... As she grows mm-hmm. a little bit. Yes. Well, Alyssa, is there any book that you're excited to talk about? Are we still doing indie bestsellers? Or just sure, indie? anything you like. Or you can move on to your list, right? Sure. Yeah. All right. Well, then <laughs> I'm going to move on to my okay. list then. Yes, yeah. that's excellent. excellent. One of the books that I've been kind of leafing through off and on for a couple months now, it's called... The Dictionary of Obscure Sorrows by uh, John Koenig. And the whole premise of this book is 
this man who is obviously in love with language is coming up with different definitions for human experiences that we all have. When you feel like you're having this moment where your emotions are taking you over and there's not a word to describe what's going on. He's taken the time to like catalog all of these types of experiences and give them a word and a clear definition. And one of the ones she's going to read one, I am going to read one and I'm choosing this one just because it also feels incredibly relevant to (laughs) the current state of affairs. And this word is, um, Kuiboku, and it means a state of exhaustion inspired by senseless tragedies and acts of violence, which force you to abruptly revise your expectations of what can happen in this world, trying to prop yourself up like an old scarecrow who's bursting at the seams yet powerless to do anything but stand there and watch. And it's, mm. these definitions just feel like they hit like so so closely to exactly, I I know exactly what that is. I have exactly felt that. That's a great word for it. And so I, are these words that didn't previously exist? So we know of. Uh, some of them are words that didn't previously exist. Some of them are, he's taken um, words or characters or um, different, like uh, different uh, myths from different cultures. And so they are words in different languages, or he's taken the roots of those words and he's combined them to create a, a new word, so to speak, within the English language. But he he says in the beginning, like, I'm just completely making this up, but that's how all language is created. That's where language is birthed from. You experience something and you kind of grasp around what, what describes this, what how do I say that this is what I'm experiencing? And that's what he's done. It's really, really fun to read. I just, wow. got, I just got back from a very epic seven day ride down the river. Um, and many things happened on that wonderful trip, but there's this word in this book called after gloom. Mm-hmm. <laughs> The pang of loneliness you feel the day after an intensely social event as the glow of voices and laughter fades into a somber quiet. (laughs) Perfect. There does need to be a word for that. After gloom. After gloom is it. He's put it together for you. (laughs) After after gloom. (laughs) I'll definitely take a look at that book. That sounds right up my alley. I love, I love words and language and playful, playful language. And I'm often sad that our English language doesn't have a word or expression for something that I want to express. And so I feel like that book could be, could be kind of helpful and maybe help you identify ways that you felt that you didn't really realize that you were feeling maybe, or that other people identified with something like that. Yes. And that was one of the really um, kind of enjoyable things about picking up the book is this is a person who has had whatever experience he's describing often enough to sit down and decide that there should be a word for it, which automatically communicates to you. If you felt this way, so has this person. And if he has felt like it should go in a book, then chances are so have so many other people. It's probably a more universal feeling than it 
is creeping around in your brain to think that it's just you. So it's called the Dictionary of Obscure Sorrows. Are they all like kind of wistful, sad definitions? Is there is there joy no, and surprise no. in there as well? There is joy and surprise. I yeah. would say they're all wistful in their yes. joy, like all very wistful and kind of like, ah, I, I know that feeling. Uh, and some of them are really sad, like the one that I read. And then some of them are just really like, interesting. Like there's one, and I can't remember the word and I don't know where it is, but there's one where he's describing the feeling of you are living your life as the main character, but you at the exact same time as that are just, you could just be an extra in someone else's life. If you were to imagine it as a story or a movie or a show, you would just be the person passing by, but that still has an impact on that other life and how interconnected it is. Mm. And it's just really enjoyable to take all of that in. It's one of those books that you can do bibliomancy on, you know, just mm-hmm. like get up in the morning, throw it open, read one, and mm-hmm. then just think, oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> I'm totally sold. I will be taking a look at that. That sounds really interesting. Quite a few coffees too. <laughs> we have. Cool. Um, I'm really excited to talk about a book that coincidentally debuted at the top of the hardcover fiction bestseller list. I am a fan of Geraldine Brooks and I um, went ahead and took the first turn with her brand new book called Horse. It's a really nice, simple title. Uh, I happen to be very fond of horses, the creatures, the animals. Um, and grew up writing them. And Geraldine Brooks clearly has a love and an understanding of these animals as well. So uh, the title, of course, um, alludes to the, I guess, the most famous racehorse in American history from the mid-1800s, who is named Lexington, um, or Darley familiarly, and was one of the most superb racehorses that anyone has ever heard of veterinary science apparently is still studying his skeleton to find out what about his breeding and body made him such a superb character so we're in the south in the 1800s the sub the subtitle of this could be race and i don't mean horse race i mean race relations because we are, he is being raised, groomed, and trained by slaves with almost no autonomy. They are another person's property. Their lives are completely at the whim of their white masters. Um, I would say that often the horses are tr- treated with way more respect and autonomy than the, the black slaves in this. And we're bouncing over the course of two centuries. So we are... Um, we get to see where this horse was born. Darley gr- was born and grows up, and his um, groom and trainer and handler is this young boy um, who's about twelve or thirteen when the story starts. And I and I think we're going to be following him for quite a few years. And then we're also in modern times with um, Jess and Theo in 2019. I think um, Jess is forget her exact title, but she studies. Uh, bones and skulls, particularly for animals, for like the Smithsonian Institution, and he is tasked with finding this this horse skeleton that a, a another researcher wants to look at. And it turns out he's 
crammed in some dusty attic in the archives at the Smithsonian's like bone warehouse. And it turns out it's this amazing racehorse. They can't believe he's just, you know, shoved in the back. So she starts studying him and what an exquisite confirmation he has just judging from his bones, even though he was articulated a little wrong. They're going to fix that. I have a feeling I'm only halfway in. And then um, her friend Theo, who she meets very coincidentally, he's a, a fellow who is of African descent. His parents were diplomats. And he's um, he's working on his dissertation in the U.S. And he picks up this old, grungy, barely visible oil painting from a little pile left out on the sidewalk by his neighbor's house. And it turns out it's a painting of this horse. And he takes it to a friend that he knows that can clean the painting and maybe tell him a little bit about its provenance and history. And coincidentally, Theo and Jess cross paths and uh, recognize that they're both possibly looking at the same horse, um, Darley or Lexington. Now, um, not everybody loves books that are about animals. I happen to be very fond of them. But I can tell you that this book will probably win over almost anyone who's fond of good writing. I think Geraldine Brooks writes with such simplicity and elegance that you don't even feel like you're reading. You're just, the story just flows. The pacing is perfect. The details that she does include are so carefully chosen and complete. I can always, I always have a really, really strong visual mental image of what's going on. Um, but there's nothing show-offy about her writing. It's just um, just really elegant and spare and just perfect and also just interesting. And she has amazing insight into human behavior for sure and animal behavior. And I can tell that she really, really loves and understands the soul of a horse. <laughs> um, and so that, that, um, that's coming through for me and I appreciate and recognize that myself. I haven't read all of her books, but I can definitely rec recommend her 20, uh, 2005 book, March. I believe that one won the Pulitzer Prize. And that is sort of a takeoff of Little Women. If anyone's familiar with the Louisa May Alcott's Little Women, March <coughs> is the story of Mr. March, um, the father who's absent through most of Little Women and his experience as a chaplain during the Civil War. Um, and that has got a great deal of. Um, stories about race relations as well. And that book surprised me with how beautifully it was done and how interesting it was. And then my very favorite book of hers um, is called The uh, the People of the Book. And it's this, I think it takes place over four centuries, four or 500 years. It's the, traces the story of this Torah, the sacred uh, Hebrew text that is protected and hidden through this incredible history in the world, all, all over the world, all kinds of countries, wars, diasporas, um, family drama, hidden in caves and rediscovered. It makes dangerous ocean crossings. And it's just an amazing book. That one's worth reading a couple of times. Um, so Geraldine Brooks' new book is not disappointing at all. I'm halfway halfway through and um, enjoying it a great deal. Happy to happy to report that um, that one's good. In fact, it looks judging by the number of holds on it, I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to read it quickly and possibly get another copy 
in uh, to the library. Sounds like a, there's some other Geraldine Brooks uh, fans waiting for their turn. Anyway, Horse by Geraldine Brooks. I can, uh, I'm pretty confident I can highly recommend this one. I just want to remind you that you're listening to the best community radio station ever, KZMU, 106.7 and 90.1 FM. You can listen to it online, streaming from kzmu.org as well. I've got a funny scratch in my throat. Sorry, y'all. Shall we give uh-huh. you a moment? I think I'm okay. <laughs> I think it's passing. <laughs> uh, I've been thinking it's funny, and I, I was... I was out really out of range for this last week, unable to pull up any news. So when I arrived back home, of course, <clears throat> while I was gone, um, the Roe v. Wade decision had been made. And so, you know, I, I went to the bookstore on Monday and was thinking a lot about how, um, what is, important in, um, say a bookstore, for example, or a library and what, what is, you know, essentially offered at a bookstore or at a library and, and not just books, you know, they're, they're bastions of this kind of hunger for information. And when things like this happen, no matter where you are on this, you know, this, this social issue, um, I was thinking a lot about everyone out there um, hungry to connect, hungry to talk, hungry to um, read more and find out more and figure out, you know, where um, they, where or how they can get their voice into a conversation. So rather than give um, our listeners just one book in this particular on, on this particular turn, I'm just going to um, give a few uh, titles for those that are hungry for some information on this, um, on the Roe v. Wade um, decision that was made last week. And, and you know, just, just give folks um, some sense of uh, what, what we can, you know, if they want to look for some fiction or uh, some nonfiction, we do have some great books that we put up already in the bookstore. And, um, and also that if you, if you need to gr- bring a group together, let us know. We'll help you build a, a community around not only this issue, but other issues. Um, that's okay. what we're there for. That's what bookstores, I think, uh, you know, and libraries sort of initially, they, you know, they were the, the crossroads of culture. And I like the idea of, of the bookstore being that and, and staying in the conversation. So I'm just going to read out a few um, books that people might want to um, return to. One called Bodies on the Line by Lauren, Lauren Rankin, a book that just ca- came out not that long ago within the year, still in, hard, in hardcover. It's a memoir uh, about her role as uh, an escort who would escort folks from their car to the abortion clinic and her playing that role as the escort, actually taking women into the clinics. Um, <clears throat> another couple of books that I think we all tend to return to over and over again are, of course, Margaret Atwood's Handmaid's Tale and then The Testaments. 
And I want to remind people of the Testaments. We've, you know, kind of read Handmaid's Tale, but the Testaments is that 25 year, 25 years later, maybe even longer, um, that, you know, she wrote sort of the ending or the, the second chapter of Handmaid's Tale. And it's amazing. It's, it's good. And it even has a hopeful ending, which is, you know, kind of interesting that if Margaret Atwood could write in some hope, (laughs) then read this book right now. Um, I just, uh, we also thought about, uh, we reordered Cider House Rules by John Irving. That's a good one. Beautiful, beautiful book. Um, that, you know, it, it's uh, wonderful, indelible characters, um, of course, abortion being at the heart of um, this novel. Also, I would say pick up anything. I think she's only written one, maybe just the one book, Gia, uh, Gia Tolentino, um, who wrote um, Trick Mirror. She's a powerful, wonderful journalist. And I just read an article that came out in the New Yorker, actually. Um, And this isn't even a book. It's just an article by Gia Tolentino uh, titled, We're Not Going Back to the Time Before Roe. We're Going Somewhere Else Worse. She doesn't have hope, but it's still an excellent um, article about, you know, the, the fact of the matter is right now we have so much more data, so much more information in the age of technology, you know, how are we going to deal with um, this issue? Um, also, we are, we have uh, Mercy Street by uh, Jennifer Haig. Um, and I'll just give a couple other titles um, that we actually have in the store. Um Let's see, Cider House Rules. The Mothers, I just ordered this by Britt Bennett, who wrote The Vanishing Half. Um, We're bringing that one in as well. Um, And Red Clocks by Lenz Zumas. And then My Notorious Life by Kate Manning. So if you're hungry for information, and we'll have these front and center, come in and have a conversation with us. Come in and, and ask us to help you find a group or find your voice, or find other voices that are um, that you want to be connecting to. Um, I feel strongly about that as a, a bookstore, um, our, the role of our bookstore. So that was that was that for for um, my turn. <laughs> cool. Some really good recommendations in there. Just really helpful to read about other people's yeah. experiences. Yep. Yeah, no matter where you are, you know. Yeah. Let's see. I have to say I'm excited to talk about a book. It's been a, a while since I've read it. Um, but um, Andy read Brian Doyle a while back and uh, seemed to enjoy it. And then I had another friend um, highly recommend. And so um, I read uh, Mink River by Brian Doyle. And I, I enjoyed this book. It's not, it's not brand new. This has been, um, this is, was published in 2010. And, and Brian Doyle was a, is a really excellent essayist. Um, and this was his first work of fiction. I read a few reviews of it today just to sort of get my memory going again. And the Kirkus review was hilariously scathing. They did not, <laughs> did not think that he was a very disciplined writer. Um, but I, enjoyed every page of 
of Mink River by Brian Doyle. So he clearly loves words and language and he, he writes in a really playful way, um, really descriptive, like almost like water flowing sometimes. It's not necessarily, some of it's not necessarily really tightly structured, um, but it's, uh, it's really, really fun. So he writes about a little tiny town on the Oregon coast and just the people and animals that live there and their humanity and their struggles and their strengths and their redemptions and um, the kindness that can redeem horrific experiences. Um, he's not above a little uh, magical realism. There is a, my favorite character, one of my favorite characters in the book is a crow named Moses who was raised by a nun and he has the gift of language uh, having been raised by this really, really wonderful and intelligent Catholic nun, he speaks English and can converse with most of the people in the town. He does it with everyone, but he can. There's a bear that shows up and helps to rescue a boy that drove his bicycle off a cliff in one part of the story. And then we don't really hear from the bear after that, but the bear was there to help carry the boy out of this canyon. Anyway, most of it... Um, there's just these little flights of fancy here and there that really appeal to the part of me that's always searching for magic in life. Um, most of it is um, really beautiful descriptions of, of uh, nature and the, um, the Native American community and the Gaelic community that live in this little tiny town on this river on the Oregon coast. Uh, there's there's devastating things that happen in this story, and there are beautiful things that happen in this story. Um, and everyone, almost everyone in the book, is working to heal the people around them and looking for ways to heal their own themselves and their own relationships. I would say that's that's the the theme. The really strong theme is um, is how how just sacrifice, patience, uh, love, and, um, and being willing to listen can, can heal um, a lot of brokenness in the world. So this book really, uh, really, and it, oh, and that, did I mention that it's really funny? <laughs> There's a lot of really, really lovely humor, um, quirky characters, all that good stuff. So for a, an unusual book, um, that will lift your spirits and maybe take you, take you somewhere else for a little while. I highly recommend Brian Doyle's Mink River. That sounds really fun. <laughs> <laughs> well, one book that I'm really excited to get to read, but I have not had a chance yet. It just came out in the past week or so. Um, it's an immense world by Ed Young. And I Honestly, I'm not typically drawn to natural history books. Um, I wish I was, but I lose interest quickly in them. However, I've heard so many interviews, and actually, I think it's just one interview that NPR has been replaying hmm. with Ed Young about this book. And he's talking primarily about the different ways that different animals and humans 
experience the world around them, the different senses that are heightened and the other senses that are kind of dampened in relation to that and how you can be in the same space with a different animal. And it is a completely different world. They're experiencing it in a totally different way. And it just, from the interview and from what I've been able to read um, about the book, it just sounds like it is so exciting to see how different beings are experiencing the world around you. And it just sounds like almost magical, like what you were saying, like just looking for some sort of magic in life. And this natural history book and book about the very scientific findings about the way that animals experience it just seem like magic because of how different it is from what we experience every day. And so I'm really excited to get into that one soon. I really like books about um, understanding animal behavior, emotion, and, and perception. And I think it's so important to being a complete um, partner in this world. We're not separate from the natural world. We're we're animals too, we're part of it. And we really, I love books that, that um, help us to understand better. Do you know what Ed Young's um, background is? Um, I, from the, from the interview, I gathered that he is a journalist and has done a lot of work, um, like a, a science journalist and has done a lot of work around the pandemic and a um, mm-hmm. kind of the ways that medicine and the human body and, um, different pandemics are going just the trends of how they'll continue to come around and that sort of thing. And so when he was talking in this interview, um, he basically was saying, you know, that was a big, heavy topic that I was continually writing about for a few years. And so this, change in the book that he's just come out in immense world. It was just, it was joyful and fun and interesting and not as much of a downer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's a smart person to, to balance your yes. subject matter a little bit. Mm-hmm. And um, we've been, a lot of people have been requesting that one. It's, it's, mm-hmm. it's definitely got a lot of buzz mm-hmm. and makes me also think of, I love that idea that, there's an alien world. Yes. You know, we, we want to go out there and find the alien, right? And mm-hmm. there's like an alien world going on right next to you. Yes. You know, that we can't fully, fully understand. Right. And because we're mm-hmm. in this consciousness, but it also makes me think of Temple Grandin's Animals in Translation. Very good. Yes. I mean, we have this, an- we always have a theme, mm-hmm. Alyssa, and animals seem to be the theme. <laughs> I guess so. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And uh, that book, if anyone is interested, you know, in, in getting into the mind of someone who's autistic, who can actually write about their own um, thinking and cognitive process and how she sees her brain almost more connected to an animal, you know, I mean, yeah. we are all animals in the end, but rather than uh, to like a human and uh, it's fascinating, incredible book, mm-hmm. Animals in Translation, Temple Grandin. Yeah, Temple Grandin. Yeah, that's a really, really important book. She was one of the first um, first writers uh, that I that I read that I that I thought like really, really probably pro- started. We're starting to properly understand an animal's experience. She changed yeah. 
help to change how animals are treated in slaughterhouses. Slaughterhouses, um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and how 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 they're raised. Um, yeah, Temple Grandin. Well, thank you. Yeah, an immense world. I've been hearing a lot of buzz about that too. I don't think I've heard that article yet on NPR, but I will keep an ear out for it. <laughs> right up my alley. Do you have another uh, book that you've read recently that you'd like to talk um, about? I did want to... Um... I just wanted to make a nod to uh, the YA genre. And recently I got to take uh, my nephew actually to uh, Salt Lake City Pride. And um, we, you know, it was just a a fun weekend. And before I went, I, we've actually, one of our lists, one of our social media lists was YA uh, you know, LGBTQAI books. Um, and, uh, you, there's just so many wonderful, wonderful queer, uh, young adult novels coming out right now. Uh, so I read one called like a love story and there's a few great nods in here to of course, Madonna, because this book took place in, um, the eighties, New York city. Uh, three friends, one who had just arrived in America from Iran, and then two best friends, uh, a girl and a boy, who meet this uh, boy from Iran, and they become a, three, a threesome, like a really clo- three close friends. And of course, the two boys fall in love, and um, they go through the AIDS uh, epidemic, and um, their uncle actually has AIDS in the story. So you get um, this gorgeous history of AIDS in New York. Um, There's sadness and it's tear filled, filled, but at the same time, it's just this uh, wonderful coming of age. Um, Just, um, you know, there's a lot of humor. There's a lot of um, new feelings. a lot of uh, drama too, uh, but there's there is if anyone likes Madonna, that this author absolutely wonderfully re, uh, weaves Madonna through the entire thing, and um, so like a love story by Abdi Nazimian, uh, it did win the Stonewall Honor. It was a Stonewall Honor book, and uh, it's just. I don't know. It gives me chills even talking about it. Just great YA story, full of wonderful. And every can you tell me? Tell me the author's name one more time. Uh, Like a love story by yeah Abdi A B D I and then Nazemian N A Z E M I A N. Thank you. Like a love story. Yeah, that is a great recommendation. Alyssa, is there any other books that you've read that you'd like to talk about today? Um, I am just in the very beginning of this book, but I picked up Vagina Obscura by Rachel E. Gross. And she's another uh, science writer. And um, this book is really kind of taking you on a tour of the way that women's anatomy was historically conceptualized within the medical field and then subsequently within the psychological field and the psychiatric field and how it all really stemmed from this initial belief that there was the male body 
And then the female body was only ever studied in comparison. So as sort of an inversion yes. of the male yes. body. I heard yes. this interview. I heard yes. this interview. Yes, yes. this sounds fascinating. It. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh -huh. so, and just that alone, just that ba uh, baseline, if a female body isn't an inversion of a male body, then you don't really need to spend very much time studying a female body because you've got it all mm -hmm. in the male body and you can just sort of, um, kind of mix and match, apply what you're doing to aid men in their bodies and their health and how it has just had lasting ramifications within the medical field and the way that women are treated and the way that women are cared for. And, um, just in recent years, how, um, scientific studies have like unbelievably recently expanded to actually include studying the anatomy firsthand of women's bodies. And, um, it's just, it's a really interesting read. It's a little disheartening to think that it's only been very recently that they've made <laughs> these kinds of, um, assessments that maybe you should study a little more closely the female body and how the systems within the female body actually are, are so interconnected and the reproductive system, for example, doesn't just control the reproductive reproductive systems within the female body. It impacts so much, so many other systems and organs and how they're interconnected. And, but the, it is exciting to see that it is moving in that direction and that there are doctors and scientists and researchers that have noticed this gap and have been like, okay, I am stepping into it. I want to research this. I want to know what this means. It, the time is now kind of thing. Like, and so I'm really enjoying it. It's this, the subtitle is an anatomical voyage. <laughs> it's a beautiful cover it, it too. Is, it is beautiful. <laughs> so I'm really enjoying this. <laughs> Awesome. Well, you guys, we are almost to the end of the hour. Oh, um, thank you so it. much, Alyssa. It's been really great to have yes. you on. I can't wait to talk to you more about books. I think this is a great thing. I am excited. And I'm, I'm so a little bit intimidated. <laughs> to all of our listeners, we wish you a happy Independence Day. Happy yeah. reading. Come visit us at the library bookstore. Tell us what you want. We'll get it to you. Thank <laughs> you for listening to KZMU. Good right. night, everyone. Bye. Bye. Bye.